Hello and welcome to Regional Classics, a podcast from the University of Oxford, which reflects and celebrates the diverse voices of Oxford classicists, past and present, from different parts of the UK, all the while creating thought-provoking conversations, breaking down barriers, and showing that if you want to study the ancient world, any aspect, politics, history, art, science, literature, culture, and much more, then you can. Oxford classicists do not and need not come from only a narrow cross-section of society. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Bertie Thompson, a classics alumna of St Hilda's College and now VP of Product Communications at Facebook. Alexander Moore, a postgraduate in ancient history at Lady Margaret Hall, where he researches the late Roman Republic. And by Ellie Newman, an archaeology doctoral student at Somerville College, where she investigates the treatment of black women in Hellenistic art. They all originally hail from the Midlands in England. And Bertie, can I come to you first and just ask, whereabouts did you grow up? And can you remember when you first became aware of the study of the ancient world? Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. So excited for this conversation. Um, So I was born in Birmingham and raised in Wolverhampton, Um, spent the first 18 years of my life there. My earliest memories of classics really stem from my childhood and just hearing Aesop's fables. My dad was always really passionate about the ancient world. I also grew up watching such classic movies of Clash of the Titans and Spartacus. So it wasn't something where I had um, a, a flash of light or a moment where I suddenly discovered classics. It was always sort of a baseline in growing up, much like kind of Star Trek and sci-fi. So <laughs> some of my earliest memories. Thank you. How about you, Alexander? Well, thank you uh, as well for, for having me here. This is a, a great opportunity to, to talk about well, Midlands perspective on classics. And I think that uh, the way I got into it is rather similar to, to Bertie. I was, for as long as I can remember as, as a child, um, you know, the ancient world was always something that was naturally dreamy. You know, everything, video games, TV, media, books, you know, I was absolutely engrossed in anything and everything that was just sort of ancient Rome. I mean, that sort of dictated everything that I did in terms of sort of as I said, popular media. So yeah, it was always a, a very natural uh, progression for me. Again, no singular moment that I can ever point to, but there were definitely sort of key influences. Um, I remember, so like, you know, certain TV shows uh, or certain video games I played as a kid that just stuck with me um, throughout, throughout all my life. And whereabouts exactly in the Midlands were you growing up? Uh, so yeah, so I'm uh, from Burton-on-Trent, uh, which is a sort of a small industrial town. It's, I guess, the closest city is like sort of Derby. And Ellie? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, so I grew up in a small town called Nuneaton, which is between Coventry and Birmingham. Uh, it's a very, very small town. Not many people have heard of it. But so I, I actually had a bit of a different experience with classics. It actually stemmed from getting fed up of studying modern history at school. And um, there was a course on offer at college to study an A-level in ancient history. And my mum was like, oh, you realise that that's going to be like all the old myths and all of that. And I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. I want to do that. And so that's really the first thing that I remember. Obviously, I mean, I watched things like uh, Doctor Who, which had travel into the ancient world and Disney's Hercules and that sort of thing. But that was like the defining moment for me where I really realised that it was actually a thing that you could study 
Yeah, and it's fantastic that you got that chance to do ancient history as an A-level because that's it's quite unusual, not that widely studied throughout the country, but also in the Midlands in particular. I know there's been research done in, in 2021 that's, that shows how, how few opportunities there are. It's been called sort of classics poverty within the whole of the Midlands region, particularly in the East Midlands. So I'm interested to hear sort of what your perspectives are on that, how, how that situation can potentially be changed. And if, if you're a, a young student today who's unable to access Access a classical subject at school what advice would you say or, or give to them? I can play a little bit off what Ellie said because for me um, I also was very lucky to find an A-level course that was of great interest at my school which was classical civilization so half ancient history half literature and translation um, and it was pretty random I was at a non-fee-paying but grammar school um, and no ancient Greek was on offer and Latin for me actually clashed with, clashed with music the lesson timing so music <laughs> was my first love so um, really it was only the kind of literature and translation and, and class civ that, that gave me the ability to actually study classical so I just think being able to offer subjects that give students a choice of what they can study. And I had actually started off doing an English literature A-level. And after the first few weeks, I was like, this is just not for me. <laughs> Too recent. I don't know what it was. And being able to switch was really instrumental in obviously driving my whole sort of course of study and, and life and career as well. So I think just having the ability to have a broad range of subjects to choose from is, is incredibly critical. I'd just like to, to add to that because I actually uh, didn't have any formal uh, sort of experience in education. Um, there was no option at all. I, I was from a sort of non-selective state school and there was there was no GCSE, there was no A-level. And in fact, it, it took me a very, very long time to actually realise that classics was more than essentially just a genre of history that I was particularly interested in. And it was actually a discipline. Now, that was a, a lesson that I had to sort of learn the hard way um and I was I, I distinctly remember being sort of at the end of my GCSEs and uh, picking my A-levels and my school didn't exactly have a lot of variety or a lot of choice and one of my, my English literature teacher at the time said to me we could do an A-level in classics uh, and I was sort of like what's that and when she told me I was like okay this is exactly everything I need and want to do but it was just something that my, my school was just completely not interested in uh, at all and, and you know they, they shut us down rather quickly but I was still fortunate enough actually that I had a very supportive teacher and I kind of gained a reputation for myself in English literature as the guy that always brought up classical myths, even when they were not exactly that relevant as I might have advocated. Um, and so my sort of experience with that was that I was not even aware that there were such things as A-level classical civ until I remember I was in undergrad and people told me, oh, I did A-levels in this. And I remember thinking, I'm so jealous. How, how did you get to do an A-level in that? Because for me, so the only sort of experience I had was that I had a teacher who was kind of, she was a classics grad and she taught me sort of Latin informally in our lunch break. But again, it, was, it wasn't anything that I thought that was serious. It was to me, it was all part of the fun of ancient history and classics. And I thought, wow, this is, this is great, but this is actually a degree that I can do. And it, and it took me a long time to realise that just because, you know, we didn't have that formal sort of introduction at GCSE or even A-level. And I think that when it comes to sort of outreach, for me, I think that's, that's so key because we live in sort of this, you know, this digital uh, world dominated by media where you have things like, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey that's recently blown up about Greece and anyone can get into that. You know, it doesn't matter where you're from, everyone can get into that. But I personally think that where I was from in my school, I had all the passion and all the desire for ancient history, but that kind of is only one half of the coin. You need you need that, you know, the GCSEs and the A-levels as well. And it just to really you know, nurture that passion. And you know, so I was kind of lucky that I had a teacher who spotted that within me and encouraged me to, you know, to follow that passion. But you know, not everyone is, is that fortunate. And again, it took me a long time to realise that classics was even a discipline that I could actually do at university. So 
I think that it's just very important just on a fundamental level that we have something you know built into the education system itself. Yeah, see, that's really interesting because even though I did, I, so I went to an absolutely massive, it was a, um, a state uh, college, so it wasn't selective or anything like that. It was just so big that it had so many subjects. It had literally every subject that you could think of. It had archaeology A-level when I was there. As you were saying, it's sort of so important to have people within schools, within colleges who want people to study the subject rather than just sort of from stumbling upon it in university prospectuses or from somebody saying, oh, you realise that you can study this. You know, it needs to be sort of within, within schools. Can we talk more about outreach? Because I feel like we've all had these sort of pivotal people who've helped us kind of become more interesting or interested or realise that there's a path of study. I think for me, we actually had a visit from Dr. Bowie from Queen's while I was doing my A-levels and he came to our school and had lunch with the six of us who were doing the course. And Oxford would not have been on my radar at all, absolutely, were it not for that one visit. And so it really was kind of a pivotal moment for me that really kind of changed the course of things. And we'd just love to kind of discuss a bit more. I'm obviously many years out of Oxford now and also been living in the US for the last 11 years. And so I'm less close to what the outreach work looks like now. But I know at the time there was a lot of great work happening. And the issue that I found actually was I tried to do some outreach with local colleges and schools and was told by one, oh, our school's not interested in Oxford. There's no point in you even coming, which I just found really depressing. So I would just love to hear more from you all that's possibly more recent and, and how you're thinking about outreach too. Within the faculty at the moment, there are so many initiatives going on, which you can find on our website, things like the classical conversations, particularly in light of the pandemic, whereby Oxford tutors will do a half an hour question and answer session with a group of students on any topic that the students would like to learn about, whether it's related to their courses or it's something completely different something that they're interested in um, there's also a range of, of classics competitions available to students but I'd be interested to hear from Alexander and Ellie as well kind of seeing it slightly more recently from from the other side of the different ways that Oxford can you know reach students um, and also I suppose outreach more generally across across the UK. Uh, yeah so I'm, I'm happy to, to talk about that um, I'm at the moment currently I'm just a first year legal so at the moment uh, my experience um, of, of graduate life at Oxford has been very much sort of dictated by obviously by the pandemic so as much as outreach is something I would love to be involved in unfortunately it's not something I have currently any any first-hand experience in but I definitely think that there are certain strategies you know that you, you can employ um, specifically you know when you think of the Midlands I remember actually studying at Oxford is not something that was ever uh, a consideration at my secondary school it was not something that we were ever even you know anyone ever thought of doing um and I, I distinctly remember in fact my school did take a couple of students a select few on sort of a not so much a, an open day this is a trip to Oxford just to see it and I'm, I'm not quite sure that the purpose of that was now I look back in hindsight because we weren't exactly being encouraged to apply to Oxford it was just sort of a acknowledgement that this world existed and that maybe one day you might end up there and I think that that's you know a barrier and a myth that just you know we have to work better at dispelling um, and, and one way of doing that is rather than that's what my school did, which is just, they took a trip there, is I really like what you were saying, Bertie, about actually having, you know, there was a, a doctor who came in and actually spoke to students about it. I think that's that's incredible. Um, and that's not something that in my experience, I, I would have loved that. Uh, you know, that would have been something that I would absolutely have been amazed by um, in secondary school, not only because I would have obviously enjoyed the topic, but again, it would have just reinforced to me something that I didn't know back then, which is just that 
classics is a, is a discipline. You know, it's something you can study at, at university. And, you know, that's something that I think can go a long way in encouraging people, not just, you know, to study at Oxford, but just to study classics, you know, generally, which I think is very important. But definitely, I think that there's a lot that we can do to sort of dispel myths sort of surrounding, you know, applying to Oxford, because so many people just look at that as just this impenetrable hurdle that's just not even worth trying to topple. And, and that, to me, I think, you know, that doesn't quite make a lot of sense. Instead of building it up as, as something that, we can't or shouldn't do which is i think the, the you know the approach that my school took it it needs to be a bit you know encouraged perhaps a bit more yeah i think having people go to different schools is a really good idea again i went to a school that it just wasn't it wasn't a thing i think i know um of my entire time at college there were three people that got into oxbridge and there were thousands of us um but i think as well it's so important in these outreach programs to have people who you can relate to so you know pe- people like us who students can hear uh, come from a similar sort of background a similar place to just know that it is an option for people who come from our sort of backgrounds come from even like location wise people who don't come from you know Oxford London that sort of area people who come from the Midlands the North the Southwest like all of this I think that I think that it's so important and it it would encourage more people to think you know what I think that I can do this I think that it's somewhere that I want to be as well because you think of um, Oxford classics and you think of a certain group of people that I personally wouldn't feel like I belong to you know so I think while outreach is so important to get people interested in in the subject it's also to help people think it's not as exclusive as um, it it once was. And something as well I'd just like to add to that is that um, I think that's very important that I I like what you're saying that we have to you know be relatable uh, to people and something that I think would have really benefited me at the time is I say that Classics just was not on an option at my school. And that, and in turn, that meant that Latin and Greek, again, it took me a very long time before I realised, of course, I, w- I was fortunate enough that I had this, this dedicated teacher who was teaching me sort of Latin very informally at lunchtimes, but it was never something I thought that was serious. And this is something that is, you know, still to this day, I feel like impacts me. The fact that I never had Latin in school, the fact that I was never able to study these languages. Whereas I think that, again, that's something that we need to work on and say that you don't have to study these languages to do classics. You know, of course, well, I should say, you don't have to study them in, in secondary school to do classics. You can still take these languages up at university. It's not too late. And this was something, this was a fear that I had when I was sort of discovering the field and entering the field. And I thought, oh gosh, everyone else has done A-levels in classical civ and A-levels in Latin. And this is the first time I've been hearing about this. And, you know, it really affected sort of my confidence going into it. And I think that, again, if someone had come to me in secondary school and said, you can absolutely go to and do an undergraduate degree in classics you can pick up the language then you know I think that would go a really long way in terms of being relatable yeah that really resonates for me Alexander just I had not done Latin or Greek before and so took them both up as part of my undergrad doing course 2b and there were four of us I think in the whole classics year who were doing the course 2b um, and I think you're right, right? It, it's great just for people to understand that it's something you can take up later. And one of the things that I've just loved most about the field of studying classics is that it just encompasses so many different things. I already knew that I loved languages. I had actually studied Russian strangely at high school. The school had just this random history of teaching Russia 
fiction um, and knew that I loved literature and then was able to combine with all of these other kind of exciting areas of study and took a paper on Greek vases, which I love to this day. <laughs> so yeah, it's incredible. And, and Ellie, just hearing about, um, it really reminded me or took me back to my interview time at Oxford because again, you know, there I was this like black girl from Wolverhampton sitting at dinner and like a big like fabulous scary looking pool with a group of you know very wonderful public school boys one of whom kind of shared he'd been studying Greek and Latin since he was eight or nine um the other one who proclaimed at dinner that he could recite the entire first chapter of the Aeneid in Latin <laughs> and I was like where am I what is this world and of course they subsequently went on to be great friends and, and very wonderful people but it really was just like being plopped into a totally different world yeah, I think this this um, languages thing is also something that it's it's an obstacle that people who study other subjects don't necessarily have to face. I didn't have the chance to do Greek or Latin at all in school. We barely did modern languages. And then so when I came to um, so I actually did my undergrad at Nottingham. Um, and when I came to Nottingham, I not only one of my first lectures was on the Iliad, which I'd never heard of in my life. But also um, because I felt like I needed to have a language and I was told by my tutors that I needed to have an ancient language in order to carry on with classics as far as I have. I decided to take up beginner's Latin. I did that in my first term. And then in the second term, I had to choose between doing beginner's Latin again or um, doing Greek and Roman mythology, which obviously kids who have already studied ancient languages this isn't something that they have to decide between. They can just do Greek and Roman mythology, which I found 10 times more interesting. Um, so I ended up deciding to do that instead. So I think universities need to be prepared for students who have never had the opportunity before. Yeah, that's it's interesting that what you were saying there really sort of resonated with me as well. I uh, actually did my undergraduate degree. I did a dual honours in, in modern history and ancient history. Um, the reason being that, you know, when I was at secondary school, again, I was still as much as I knew that I wanted to do ancient history. And that was the subject I was interested in. I was completely unaware that it was even a valid discipline for so long. You know, I saw it in prospectuses and I went on open days. And whenever I spoke to my teachers about it, they would all say the same thing to me, which was, are you sure about that? You know, stick to modern history. You know, that, that's valuable. That's And so and in the end, ultimately, the way I sort of picked my modules, and my credits was that it, it was very much an ancient history degree by the end of it. But it definitely meant that I had the exact same choices to make. You know, I, I came in, I remember my first year, I had the undergrad at Liverpool. And I came in in my first year and I remember being faced with the choice of, do I want to study in my limited ancient history credits that I had at the time? Do I want to study uh, a language, which I'd never really done before? Of course, I had very limited ex exposure to the Latin language, very limited. Um, or did I want to study the campaigns of Alexander the Great? And for me, it was just an easy choice. I was, you know, an ancient historian through and through. And I thought, well, this just sounds fantastic. And then it was when I got to the, sort of my third year at the end. And then I sort of realised, again, it took me that long to think, actually, I, I do sort of want to learn languages now so I can interrogate the text myself when I'm reading them. And this is something that I, I recognised when I was then doing my master's and especially now my DPhil, that people, when I talk to them about it, and I say, what are you learning? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm learning, you know, modern German now. And I said, okay, that's great. I can see why, but how have you got the time for that? And so I don't need to learn Latin. I don't need to learn Greek, which, you know, even at default level, I'm still having to try to learn now. I definitely think that this is something that doesn't necessarily stop me from being a good ancient historian, but it definitely means that, you know, I feel as if I've gone throughout my undergrad and my master's at some kind of disadvantage because I didn't have that, you know, those language um, opportunities at school. 
Um, so again, I think it's important to stress that by no means that does not having these things prevent you from doing you know, what we do. And I think that's very important. But of course, it's important to recognize that we should still encourage you know, people when, when they go to university, they can still pick these things up and that that's okay. And, and sometimes if you want to make the choice between an exciting module on myth or history over a language, you can absolutely do so. Um, and that does not prevent you, you know, it doesn't lock you out of learning any language at all further down the line. I think that's such an important message. What are some of these then interdisciplinary connections that you, the three of you, feel that you particularly enjoyed drawing in all the different elements of the course that you might have done in your undergrad or your postgrad, or even when you were at school doing, if you were able to do classical civilization, etc. What were those connections that really drew you to then decide, as the three of you did, that this is the thing I want to study in, in some shape or form at university, despite some of the barriers that you'd faced up to that point? For me, it was just the breadth of subjects that were available to study. I still feel that I haven't decided what I want to do with my life fully. And it's just like really fun to try new things and be learning all the time. And so the notion that you could study some language, some history, some art, some archaeology was just incredibly appealing. And that um, I think also is one of the awesome things about the education system in the UK versus the US, where I work with a lot of people who are educated here and you know it's, it's just a kind of different you have to study certain things and you don't have the opportunity necessarily to pick a bunch of like oddball topics which I did and, and definitely was the right path for me so I think it was just the breadth of things available and, and not wanting to specialize too soon was what really drew me. So I think for me it was again almost the opposite I didn't have a lot of choice I didn't uh, have a lot of variety when I was at secondary school um, and actually my A-levels ended up being, you know, I did sort of English literature and history. I tried to go down that route as much as I possibly could, but that was sort of the best that I could do. I, I had no sort of classical civil Latin or anything like that. Um, but even still, um, of course, my history A-level was very much modern history, but it didn't stop me from, I actually ended up doing the, uh, the extended project qualification, which is sort of a voluntary A-level that we do. And I decided that I was going to do that on Roman history because that was the only way that I sort of seeing myself of, of having an avenue into it. But I think it was only because I'd done an A-level in history that I had the, you know, the confidence to tackle that and thought that I, you know, have the, the necessary skills that were sort of writing and, and analysis that I could do an EPQ, which then in turn, you know, I could then use that as an outlet sort of to sort of demonstrate to myself because that was a key moment for me as well. The EPQ, I really valued that because that was the first time that I'd ever you know, officially studied anything in ancient history. And that was really sort of, you know, a confirmation for me. Okay, this is exactly what I want and need to be doing. Um, but also as well, I think that at school, um, I can't underestimate the impact that English literature had on me. Because um, I remember reading a lot of, you know, the, the classics, uh, The Great Gatsby, Frankenstein, and the parallels to myths. I said I, I developed this reputation for myself as being the guy who always brought myth in every single lesson about fail. Like I even remember one class, I don't know how I did it. I was talking about Julius Caesar, I think, in relation to Wuthering Heights. It, I was really going to quite extreme lengths. Um, but I think that English literature as, as a subject was, for me, the, like, it was the best avenue into classics. And I think that there's a lot of overlap between the two subjects. Um, and, you know, a lot of interdisciplinarity that is there that I think can, if you don't have access to something like classics, I think is, you know, is still a very viable option. Um, languages too, as we were just talking about, you know, if you do languages at A-level, again, my school didn't offer any languages at A-level. Again, it was difficult for me, but again, that's that's a very good, you know, avenue into classics because, of course, we're just talking about languages. If you have Romance languages like French or Italian on offer, that can help you then down the line learn Latin. Um, so I think there's definitely, even when it looks like you don't have a lot of choice, like I did, 
there are still definitely various avenues and routes that you can take to still sort of help you at least try to get into classics. See, I um, I actually went down a completely different route when I was deciding what I wanted to do because I had no idea. So I ended up doing A-levels in maths, geography and in classive. Um, but so for me, it was when I sort of figured out, because obviously those, those subjects don't relate to each other, but it was um, sort of when I found out that you could study reception and look at things like how classics is portrayed in the media and also um, reflections in politics and using modern sort of political um, ideas to look at the ancient world, things like that, that I realised, do you know what, this is something that I could really get into. Um, you know, I, I didn't realise that, and I know that it's still sort of a frowned upon area within uh, within classics amongst certain groups but you know looking at the media looking at reception studies how I you know at undergrad I did a module on classics and tv I didn't realize that that was a thing until I discovered that and I thought oh my god this is so good this is such a good way to get people involved in it um, so I think if, if um, go, going back to sort of outreach, if we emphasise that these are the sort of things that you can look at in classics, more people might be interested and it makes it more relevant because, you know, the, the sort of things that I get asked when I say that I study classics is, oh, well, why do you want to do that? It was thousands of years ago. Surely it's un completely unrelatable, but it's not the case at all. You know, looking at all of the films that it comes up in I saw that um uh, there's a conference happening in the US about um classics and music and things like this it's it's just so interesting to me so that's when I really figured out that I wanted to study classics that was something as, as well that I'd just like to say um it, it really I realized it a lot a bit later on after my undergrad I think when I did my dissertation is just how applicable you know the ancient world is to, to the modern day um so my research actually focuses on the role played by military veterans during the late Roman Republic you know, this is this is something that is a concept that's still very much alive and, and important in today's you know discourse, um, especially in terms of the relation with politics. And, and there's so many different ways where I think that I can almost just see now the ancient world in, in modern society. And, and that's something that I think, as, as you were saying, Ellie, that you can realise very, very early on when you think about classical reception and, you know, things that when we think about our childhood, I know we started off by saying how we got into classics and quite a few of us it was a case of you know Disney's Hercules and things like this and we were you know watching films and books and I think that that is you know we definitely can't underestimate that and the relevance that that, that has in, in sort of how we view and formulate you know concepts and ideas in the modern era. And how have you found Bertie moving into the world of work that your classics experience and degree both benefited you but also just influenced your choice of career and the skills that you've deployed and as we've just said about political and social cultural impacts of classics today? Yeah, this, this is such a good question. I sort of fell into my career. So I ended up training as a chartered accountant after I graduated, just because it seemed like a sensible thing to do. <laughs> and then very quickly realized I wasn't destined to be an accountant and um, fell into a role in PR at a PR agency. And then over many years ended up at, at Facebook and leading communications for all of our products, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Um, and it's funny, I, I didn't realize at first the connection until I went back to St. Hilda's for a gathering where we saw some of our old tutors. And I remember one of my old tutors, Dr. Innes, when she found out what I did, 
did. She said, well, of course you work in PR. You studied Cicero, the master of rhetoric. <laughs> I was like, good point. <laughs> and I think really for me, just the, the discipline around how to form an argument, how to persuade. I'm a communicator by nature. It's my job to communicate, to persuade, whether that's employees, reporters, investors, and just being able to kind of formulate that argument, to articulate something in a way that really relates to an audience. I definitely draw back exactly from my degree and, and the work that we did there. So it feels very relevant to me from a skill set point of view, even if the subject matter isn't necessarily spot on the same. And have you ever encountered surprise from people when they find out what your actual your degree and your academic background is? Often. <laughs> yes, very, very often. <laughs> And obviously classics is a, a, a known discipline in, in the US as well. But yeah, I, I have not found um, many other classicists in my line of work. Although uh, my boss, Mark Zuckerberg, is very, very passionate about classics and has talked a lot about that publicly too. So that's that's fun. What are some of the things that you all feel you wish were talked more about in classics? I think we've mentioned lots from a school's perspective and maybe an outreach one, but just more widely within the discipline, whether that be amongst academics or teachers or even in, in the public eye, in the media, you know, what are some of the things you wish were talked about more or perhaps some that you wish were talked about less? I was um, just so excited to hear, Ellie, about your areas of study when I was studying classics. 20 years ago, don't tell anyone, um, there was no real sense of thinking about social justice or issues of race, or it just wasn't even on the radar. I was always kind of the lonely only <laughs> being a black woman. It just was, I think there was maybe one other black woman in the entire year studying classics. So it was just something that I kind of couldn't really think about or else I would become too self-conscious. And I love the idea that now the discipline is kind of embracing a lot more intersectionality and ways of, of studying the past that incorporate, you know, some of our present as well so I just was really excited to hear about your area of study and, and that's something that, that seems very important for students to focus on now across all subjects. Something as well I think that is sort of a, an issue that we're currently having you know in, in classics um, aside from you know the name itself classics and, and what that can represent is that there's a tendency in it, and again it took me a while to realise this uh, throughout my undergrad of you know, when we think about what is classics and what is ancient history, we just instinctively, you know, we just go to ancient Greece and Rome. Um, and of course, there's so much to be, you know, so much work to be done here. But it's, you know, when I was going through my undergrad and I remember thinking about how the Romans were portraying others, particularly I remember the Parthian Empire at the time and thinking how this was something that was portrayed as being so dangerous that it was rivaling Rome and that Rome had to try and, you know, subdue this fact. And, and then it, and it clicked with me then. And I thought and I did a module on Cyrus the Great and the Persian Empire in my undergrad. And I thought, you know, these these things are these empires, Persia and Parthia afterwards, are just as important and just as significant in terms of world development as, as the Roman Empire was and how ancient Greece. And yet I think that that's something that obviously has got a lot better in, in recent years. But it's still something that I think we, we need to work out when we say the words classics and we say the words ancient history. What are we really talking about? Are we talking about ancient Greece and ancient Rome exclusively? Or, you know, do we mean ancient history and, and everything that is involved in that, you know, the empires of Egypt and even before that, the Hittite empires, Parthia, Persia, you know, all these things that are just as important and just as significant in, you know, state interaction and, and even themes such as imperialism that are, you know, by no means exclusive to, to Roman Greece. And yet, I think we have this tendency to, to just 
sometimes prioritise, um, you know, the, the sort of more Western Roman Greek history. Yeah, absolutely. So I look at uh, a little bit at ancient Nubia in my studies and sort of uh, the interaction between ancient Nubia and ancient Egypt in the Hellenistic period. Um, and it's so strange to me that these countries, they bordered each other. Um, and yet it's sort of like ancient history, the, the discipline has drew a line underneath Egypt and said, no, after this, it doesn't matter. It's not part of ancient history. Um, and, you know, even going beyond that, sort of the interact interactions between Rome and the East, we see Rome as being ancient history and the contemporary history in the East as being other and sort of mysterious and sort of a completely different discipline, um, which although, you know, the world's big place, there were many different cultures all living together. Why is it that when you say ancient history and when you sign up to study an ancient history degree, we know, we all know that that means Greece, Rome, maybe a bit of Egypt and, you know, their interactions with other places. Why doesn't it include, you know, Nubia, uh, places like South America, you know, so interesting, but th there's just nothing. And I think that it also speaks to a wider problem in British uh, teaching of history in, in schools and in universities, that it's very sort of uh, white centric, it's very sort of Eurocentric. And yeah, so it's, it's something that it is a problem in classics, but it's something that was rippled out to uh, just the study of history in general and something that we need to address. And I think, as we've mentioned before, the fact that classics has this extra element, the, the language literature element that creates additional barriers and complications compared to perhaps the, the discipline of history in and of itself. Do you think that I know, Alexander, you just touched on this in terms of the name of classics. Can we break down one of those barriers by altering that name, do you think? By, would, that, would that make a difference or is the terminology just, you know, product rather than the, the actual problem at the, at, the, at the root there? Of course, I think that terminology can only go so far in, in what we can do by changing names. You know, that's, there's only so much that that can do, but I still think it's important. You know, as I said, when when I was sort of in secondary school and I was weighing up my options about what I wanted to do at university, I said I, I ended up picking a dual degree in history and ancient history. And to me, ancient history there was, was essentially what it was in name. It was the, the period before history, it was the ancient part of history. Um, but classics definitely had a reputation to me as, as being classical literature. Uh, you know, that's what I sort of associated with the term. And when, when I say classics, I thought the Iliad or the Aeneid, and these were things that were completely foreign to me, mainly because I think that when I thought of those, I thought, I don't know how to read Latin. How am I going to read the Aeneid? Um, and so I think that there's definitely something we can do by, you know, the word classics and breaking that down in, in terms of things you have. You know, classics is, is an amalgamation of many different disciplines. You have classical literature, as I just said, but there's also, you know, more to that. It's, it's not just exactly literature, there's reception. Uh, and these are all very important sort of, you know, aspects of classics. And I think that absolutely if we think about what classics means, we can start to remove those barriers, but ultimately, uh, again, I think that terminology can only go so far and that we perhaps need to do more in terms of encouraging people, at least in terms of outreach, um, about thinking about the discipline as a whole uh, in terms of you know ancient history, even something such as Egyptology. Um, and then these, these labels can be very useful, um, but again, we just have to be a, a bit more aware of what we actually mean when we say them. We've already, I think, dispelled some myths so far in this episode, but are there any other myths about classics or particularly perhaps about Oxford and your Oxford classics experiences that you'd like to dispel? 
For me, my experience at Oxford was really defining in a bunch of ways. And my expectations, I suppose, really many of the people that I met and got to know and became friends with were from like a different kind of social strata (laughs) than I was. Um, And my learning was like, I approached things in a way that I was supposed like naive and and self-conscious, but was able to kind of make wonderful friends and find spots where I was able to fit in and and really thrive. And so that for me was, was really defining knowing that I could fit in in many different environments and areas instead of kind of feeling excluded. So I found it an incredibly positive experience over time. And looking back now, I think I, if I was approaching a similar experience now, I think I would be a lot more self-conscious about it but I certainly had a, a, a really great experience. I would like to, to add as well actually um, when I moved into my flat and all my flatmates they referred to me as northern because I was north of Oxford therefore I was northern and, and this was having done my undergrad in Liverpool very bizarre to me um, this idea of being called northern but it actually this is something that I would I would say got better over time. When I first arrived, I did get very overwhelmed with this notion. And I thought to myself, wow, am I really alone here? You know, is there anyone else from my background or is everybody here been learning Latin since the age of eight? Actually, after a while, after talking to a lot of people, I did realise that while, of course, there are so many people with so many varied, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, in terms of a regional perspective, I certainly was not the only person from not just the Midlands, but from the North, as you know, it was collectively referred to, which again, the Midlands most certainly is not. But that's, that's something that I, I think that it took me a while initially to get over. And, and this was a fear that I had going into Oxford. I thought, am I really going to be isolated? But I think that, you know, as we prove by doing this, that that's certainly not the case. Yeah, I um, I had a similar experience of people telling me that I was from the north before I started Oxford uh, doing my DPhil and my master's, actually. I uh, was very self-conscious of my educational background and sort of, you know, being state educated, all of this, am I going to be the only person? And um, that's one myth about Oxford, even though, you know, you're not going to find that you do have the same background as everybody there. That doesn't mean that um, people aren't going to appreciate your background, people are going to be um, critical of your background or anything like that. Um, And one myth that I would like to dispel about classics is that it's boring. Uh, It's not boring at all. It's so it's super interesting. It's the most interesting subject ever, in my opinion. You know, and it is it is relatable. It is applicable to the modern day. Um, And do you know what? Even if it isn't um, just doing a subject that you that you love and that you find interesting, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, it's got all of us this far. Um, and I know that not everybody has the same opportunities and things like that, but even the majority of people watch television, watch films, have the internet, play games, things like this. Um, to have more sort of um, opportunities for people to see classics in the media and also see people like us who study classics in the media, you know, different people are getting into it, different people are looking at different things in the subject. Um, and I think to portray that to a wider um audience of people would be so beneficial to get people interested in the subject because it isn't boring well you were all fantastic ambassadors for the subject and I think your experiences and speak for themselves in terms of you know where classics has taken you and still has so many other places and directions in which to take you but you can tell even uh you know after the first time that you encountered that subject that your passion and enthusiasm for the subject has never has never dimmed um which is fantastic to hear 
Something that was kind of on my mind in terms of when we're thinking about, you know, the Midlands as a region is something that always stuck with me. And I remember that was just before I went to university. So I decided that I was going to do uh, at least partially a degree in ancient history, which ended up being fully. Um, I remember mentioning this to people at the time I was working part time in a retail store. And I remember mentioning this to one of my colleagues. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go after study ancient history. And after the initial question of what's that, which, again, I still get to this day, which I think is bizarre. I explained it and then she sort of, and I'll never forget what she said. And she sort of said, that's not what people from around here do, is it? And that was something that really stuck with me. And I thought about it and I thought, no, actually it's not. None of, as far as I'm aware, I was the only person from my school to go and do classics. None of my family, um, you know, my parents only went to university when I was much, much older, um, long after I was born. And no one in my family, you know, when I think about the Midlands, it was always just very you, you grew up and you left school and you went into an industrial career. That was everything that my parents did, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. You, know, you left school, you joined an industrial career. My, you know, my dad was an engineer, my great-granddad was an engineer. It's just, that's what you did. Uh, and, and to break that mold and to suggest something seemingly as bizarre as classics at university was very much to do. And that's something I think that we have to work on when we think about outreach. Of course, it's, it's going to depend on, on whether you're from the Northwest, the Northeast, the Midlands, the South, et cetera. But in terms of the Midlands specifically, I think that that's something that needs to be addressed because it was certainly a worry I had at the time. It really just felt as if I was taking this massive leap and massive gamble into the unknown. And I now realise that that's just not the case. You know, the classics is a very valuable and very large, sprawling discipline that just has so much worth in it. And, and yet it was something that when I dared to say that I was going to, that I wanted my school to introduce an A-level, it was you know, shut down as the most ludicrous thing I could possibly have said uh, because that's not what we do. Um, and again, I, I think that that's just not true. Alexander, that really resonates for me. Just often um, I've had a friend refer to it as like the tyranny of low expectations from people around you. I was a, I was a silver service waitress at the Molyneux football ground at <laughs> the Wolves team in all of my sort of teenage years. And I remember a um, someone who was eating at the, at the restaurant asking what I was going to do. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to Oxford and they smiled and said, oh, Oxford Brooks, which is a perfectly wonderful university, but is not Oxford. And it was just like, you know, they just corrected me because they couldn't possibly have expected somebody who looked and sounded like me to be going off and studying at Oxford. And so I think you're so right that we just need to kind of open people's apertures and expectations for what people from the Midlands can accomplish because we can do anything. Well, I think that's a fantastic note on which to end. That's a, a message for everyone listening to this. To Bertie, Ellie and Alexander, I'd just like to say a huge thank you for your time on the podcast today. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. And thank you, everybody, for joining and listening.